speaking because I need it. <laughs> Thank you, Jeremy. Boy, it's a joy to be with you this morning. I bring you greetings from uh, McClinney, America. A lot of people don't know where McClinney is. We're 30 miles west of Jacksonville, Florida. When I check into hotels, when I travel, I, I ride McClinney, America, because they don't know. They know where Miami is. They know where Jacksonville is, Orlando, but not McClinney. And that's where the rednecks come from. I'm there amongst rednecks. We've been there 28 years and loving it, just enjoying it. But it's a joy to be with you. I bring you greetings from my family. Uh, it'd be two years this coming January. My wife went home to be with the Lord after 52 years of marriage. And next Sunday, I'll be sharing some of that with you and some of the funny stuff that happened. I took care of her for five years. In those five years, I was gone three days out of the five years. I wouldn't take any, any engagements, didn't travel, and I was with her day and night. And people with, she went through dialysis for five years, kidney failure. And a lot of people would say, isn't that a burden? I said, no, it's not a burden, it's a joy. I, I, I get to minister to her and take care of her, love her. And so, uh, uh, but I'll be sharing some of that next Sunday. You, it's worth coming. Because some of the, she was a funny lady. She didn't know she was funny, but she always made me laugh and always said stuff that, that I, every time I think about it, I, I just can't help but smile. And uh, when we got married, uh, we were told we never could have any children. She had surgery twice, and, and we couldn't have them. Then we couldn't stop having them. They just kept coming, and we wound up having eight. And uh, an adopted one, four in heaven, and I got five. I got four boys and a girl. And the girl's right in the middle, Maria. Now, Maria's like me. I was telling Jeremy yesterday, Maria and I speak the same language. She, I can talk theology with her. I can talk about the Lord. And I mean, and, and she walks with the Lord. So it's such a joy to be with her. Well, when she was a little girl, oh, about four, she was attending a little preschool in our church. And so I came in from one of my travels, and my wife said, you know, Maria's not very happy. I said, well, what seems to be the problem? She said, well, Maria, when I took her to school this morning, she said, Mom, I haven't had a date with that, because I've been taking my kids on dates. Ever since they were tiny, I would take them with me on dates. And it's a great time to hear them and to teach them. And so she said, I haven't had a date with that in a long time. I said, no problem. I'll just go get her out of school. Now, you know, the kids love it when you get them out of school when they're not in trouble. Usually, they call you when they, they messed up. And so I went and got her and got her in the car, and we were heading to McDonald's, and she looked kind of sad. I said, Maria, what's wrong, honey? She looked at me with a sad face, and she said, Daddy, Brandon, kiss me. <laughs> Brandon was a little five-year-old boy in her class. I said, he did what? He said, Brandon kissed me. See, what you got to understand is when you're a Puerto Rican daddy and you only got one girl and some boy looks at that girl, those switchblades in your pocket open by themselves. <laughs> you don't have to open it. They just open by themselves. And so we went a little further and she looked at me and she said, Daddy, we want to get married. <laughs> and I want to laugh, but you can't laugh because she's serious. I said, oh, Okay. We go a little further, and she said, Daddy, will you do me a favor? I said, honey, whatever you want, I'll do it. She said, Daddy, could you go over to Brandon's house, talk to his mama, and work it all out? <laughs> I said, yeah, I can do that. 
And so I, I, I'm, you know, it's not good to hold laughter in. It's not good. And usually something funny happens in church and you got to hold it in because you don't want to laugh. And I wanted to laugh, but I, so we get to McDonald's, I pull in, stub the car, I come around and I open the door and I helped her out. See, ever since she was a little girl, I was teaching her how a real man should treat her. And if a man didn't treat her like her daddy treated her, she wouldn't, and she's beautiful. She is gorgeous. She looks like her mama, thank God. But she is. And so I helped her and we went in hand in hand and we still hold hands to this day. Went in and I told the lady, let me have two little small bags of fries and two small Diet Cokes. You know, you gotta balance those meals, that's really important. <laughs> and so, we sat down, and I thought, I'll just go to the bathroom, and then I can laugh. But she can't leave a little girl by herself. And so, I just held it in, and finally we finished, we got in the car, got home. I said, Maria, go watch TV with your brothers. She did, I ran upstairs, shut the door, and I threw myself on the bed and just laughed, just started laughing. My wife came in, and I always called Gwen Mama. She came in. She said, what's going on? I said, Mama, get ready. We got a wedding coming up. <laughs> but, you know, th those are precious things that happen. And uh, it, it happened just like that. And uh, I write all this stuff down because this is how parents get even with their kids. You know, when they grow up and have kids of their own, you got stuff to hold over them. And I tell my grandkids some of these stories. They said, they really did that? I said, oh, yeah, they did it. They did it. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter. Now, I know Dr. Rios here just finished the series on 1 Peter, so I'm not probably going to tell you something that he didn't tell you, but I just want to share. This is what God's laid upon my heart to share with you. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 14. And if you're able to stand, will you please stand in honor and reverence to the reading of God's holy word and then remain standing for prayer? 1 Peter chapter 1 beginning with verse 14. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without respect of person, judges according to every man's work, past the time of your sojourning, here in fear, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things of silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious, the perfect, the pure, the powerful, the promise, the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. May God add his blessing to the reading, to the hearing of his holy word. Let us pray. Father, we pause to praise you because we love you. Praise you because you're from everlasting to everlasting. Thank you for so many blessings, Father, that are ours. But most of all, Father, we thank you for Jesus. If we could live a thousand lifetimes, it wouldn't be sufficient to thank you for our Lord. Now, Father, you know we're a needy people. We need to desperately hear from you today. Father, I need to hear from you today. Will you meet each of us individually at the place of our greatest need? In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you, please be seated. In 1 Peter chapter one, the apostle Peter is giving us an invitation. He's giving us an invitation to live a holy life. He says, be ye holy 
for I am holy. Early this morning, when I woke up, I, I, I usually have my little devotion and I have my prayer time. And I was asking the Lord to allow the Holy Spirit this morning to give us a spiritual physical, a spiritual physical. Every year, I have one or two annual physicals. And at my age, I, I'm 75, I'll be 76 in April. Uh, I go in for blood work. In fact, next week when I get back, I go in for blood work, go see my heart doctor. You know, I got two artificial knees, got a pacemaker. I mean, when I go through the airport, it just sets up all kinds of whistles, you know. And uh, uh, the first time I had to go take a physical, I was at Atlanta working for the whole mission board. And, and they invited me to come on their staff. And so uh, they said, you got to have an annual physical. I didn't want to go. I didn't want to do it. Man, I heard, you, I heard what they do to you in those things, you know. I mean, they do stuff to you that I cannot mention from here. I mean, they do stuff to you that's illegal in half of the United States. I mean, if you get caught doing to somebody what they did to you, they'll put you in jail. Yeah. So I didn't want to go. And the president of the, of the North American Mission Board sent me a letter. He said, Herman, you got to go, because if you don't, we're going to have to release you. So I finally went. I had a young doctor. It took him two days. Two days. Then he said, come next Wednesday. That was his day off. I was already suspicious. I figured this guy wants me to come on his day off. He should be playing golf or fishing. And so I showed up. I was only going to be there for 15 minutes, get the results. I was there four hours. See, my doctor had just come to faith in Christ. He grew up in a church that preached the gospel, but he was religious, but he was lost. He was a member of the church, but he didn't know Jesus. And he knew I was an evangelist, so that rascal had me come his day off, and for four hours I was discipling him. And when I realized I'd been there for hours, I said, Doc, I'm going to send you a bill. <laughs> I said, please give me the results, because i got to go. Now remember, he went to school for 10 years. He took two days to examine me. He said, first of all, Brother Rios, you're too fat. I said, what did you say? He said, first of all, you're too fat. I said, I want a second opinion. <laughs> he said, you're ugly too. He really said that. He really, and we laughed. And I know it's important to take care of yourself physically. I know I don't look it, but I go to the gym and I work out. And, 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 uh, and I try to watch what I eat. And I used to weigh 400 pounds. I'm down to 300. So, so you know, it may not look like it, but... but for some of us, it's a struggle. For some of y'all, it's not. Some of y'all can eat anything. I hate those people. You know, they can eat anything. But, but it's important that we take care of ourselves physically, but it's more important that we take care of ourselves spiritually. This is what Peter's talking about. He says, be holy in all manner of conversation. In other words, you and I need to have a holy lifestyle. A holy lifestyle at home, at work, at school, at play, when you travel, when you're in the world, we need to have a holy lifestyle. Well, you know, when God calls us to do something, when he demands that we live a certain way, he will always give us steps to follow. He will give us a GPS. In chapter 2 of 1 Peter, he mentions five things. 
And I'm just going to briefly touch on those five things. And if we're struggling with any of these five things, it's a sign that we don't have a holy lifestyle. I remember when I first got my GPS, I was traveling from, or from Miami to Jacksonville, and that's before cell phones. But I had a phone in the car. I felt like one of those TV detectives, you know? I had that phone there, and my wife called me to see where I was. And uh, while I was talking to her, that sexy voice on my GPS said, in two miles, turn right. And my wife said, who's that woman in the car with you? I said, that's my new girlfriend, Martha. I went through three Marthas before I left the convention. But that GPS, and when we had hurricanes in Florida, you needed GPS because you couldn't recognize places. You couldn't recognize them. They were gone. And, but the GPS would get you to where you need to go. Well, here he tells us in chapter 2, he shows us, he mentions five things. He says, wherefore, laying aside all malice, all guile, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, and newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby if you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So what he's saying is, listen, as a child of God, you need to strip off. You need to take off those things that are not pleasing to God. You work outside in the summer and it's windy. When we lived in South Florida for four years, from 90 to 94, my wife was always planting plants. And one day she said, next Saturday, are you available? I said, yes, I'm here. She said, don't plant anything. I got up early that morning, she fixed me a great breakfast, and then she took me outside, gave me a shovel, and she says, I want you to dig me a hole that wide, three feet deep, it was about 18 inches, about 18 feet long. I was digging all morning, it took me half a day, and I got all that dirt out. I said, I'm finished. She said, oh, you're not finished yet. She came out and put some stuff at the bottom, some little rock, and then some seeds, she was planting roses. And she said, okay, put the dirt back in. I said, you gotta be kidding. By the time I finished, you can imagine what I looked like. Man, it was hot, I was sweaty, and uh, you know, if she was here, she would talk to me after the church and said, you know, people don't sweat, people perspire. Well, I was perspiring so much, I was sweating like a horse. You know, so, so it, it, I was just filthy, and, and she wouldn't even let me go in the house. She took me in the garage, closed the door, made me get undressed, put on a robe, walked me to the shower, and I took a shower and got rid of all that dirt and, and, and put on some comfortable clothes, and what a great feeling. It's, that's, that's what he's talking about. Get rid of, get out of your life, get out of your home, get out of your church, things that are not pleasing to God. And so he says, wherefore, laying aside all malice, that word malice means evil, hatred, prejudice. There's no room in the heart of a child of God for those things. You know, I've experienced racism. You know, people look at me and they say, ah, he's Mexican. I'm not, I'm Puerto Rican. But you know what, I speak Spanish like a Mexican. And that just throws people, you know. And, and then being married to, to a white girl, you can imagine when, when we would go into restaurants, the looks that I would get. And, and I would get them from people that had been in church listening to the same gospel that I was preaching. You know, so you, you, you have to deal with those things. If it wasn't for Jesus, you know, some of us would be in jail. But because of Jesus, we love people. 
And so he says, get rid of malice. A pastor was preaching in New York City, and he was preaching about heaven, and he got all excited. Now, if you're going to preach about heaven, you ought to get excited. And if you hear a sermon about heaven, you ought to get excited, because folks, we're going there one day. And so uh, he got to describing all the people that are going to be in heaven. And he went through the line, and, 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 and he had racists in his church. There's a member of the church. And the racists couldn't stand it. And when halfway through the sermon, the racists stood up and said, Preacher, you mean to tell me that I'm going to have to go to heaven with all the blacks, but that's not the word he used. With all the Chinese, but that's not the word. I mean, he didn't leave anybody out. And you can imagine there was a silence. But thank God for a pastor with wisdom. He leaned over and he said, Friend, you got nothing to worry about. You won't be there. <laughs> See, a person with that kind of hatred doesn't know Jesus. He doesn't know Jesus. When I think of malice, you know what I think about? Scorpion. They fascinate me. A scorpion will always do the same thing. When he senses danger, he'll back up. He'll throw that tail over his body, and at the end of the tail, he has a needle sharp thing, and he will inject his enemy with poison, paralyze it, and destroy it. If he cannot run, if he cannot fight, he will sting himself and commit suicide. I've seen him do it. This is what the apostle Peter is telling us. He says, when you and I allow things in our lives or in our home or in our church that are not pleasing to God, we're committing spiritual suicide. That's why there's so many dead churches. I was in Puerto Rico two weeks ago preaching, and there's a pastor drove into his church, pointed to a beautiful building, said, that church is empty. There's nobody there. It died. It died. I said, how can it die when there's so many people that are in need? And so he says, get rid of it. You're committing spiritual suicide. Wherefore, laying aside all malice. But then he goes on to say, not only that, stripped of guile. That word guile means deceitfulness. I'm only going to be here for the next week. So it's not long enough for us to get to know each other. So you can fool me. And you might even fool your pastor, but you can't fool God. Man, he knows you. He knows where you live, buddy. He knows what you're doing before you do it. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you watch. He knows how you feel about things. And usually when we try to fool somebody, we just fool ourselves. I'm the worst church member in my church. I'm hardly ever there. I'm always going somewhere preaching and, and I'm slowing down a little bit because physical things, but, but when we lived in Atlanta, we, we belonged to Baptist Tabernacle, downtown Baptist Church. And so there for a period of six months, I was gone every Sunday somewhere. And I couldn't wait to get back to my home church. I couldn't get to get back to the folks and hug them and see them. And that Sunday night we got there, and as we got there, I told Gwen, take the kids and go in. I'll be in in a few minutes. Because I saw four of our members, and I hadn't seen them in, in six months. And I wanted to go say hello to them. And one of them was a brand new believer. This guy was a horrible alcoholic and gave his heart to Jesus, and God just delivered him from alcoholism. But he was struggling with smoking. And he thought nobody knew that he smoked, but everybody knew that he smoked, you know. And he was just fooling himself. And that, after, that evening, as I was walking across the parking lot, he saw me. 
And when he saw me, he was trying to smoke the last one before he went into the service. And he got real nervous. He didn't know what to do with it. And the closer I got, the more nervous he became. So I finally said, eat it, brother. Just go ahead and eat it. And when I got to him, he put it off and he began to apologize. He said, Brother Rios, will you forgive me? I said, for what? He said, you caught me smoking. I said, does it bother you that I saw you? He said, yes. I said, can I teach you something as your older brother in Christ? Can I teach you? He said, yes. I said, you got it backwards. It bothers you that I saw you, but it doesn't bother you that God's been seeing you all this time. See, God's been watching you, and that doesn't bother you, but it bothers you that I know. See how we get things backwards? When we allow things in our life, we do things backwards. See, he didn't know that I knew that he smoked. But I knew that he didn't know that I knew that he smoked. And the reason I knew that he didn't know that I knew that he smoked was because the smell betrayed him. And when he chewed enough gum where he didn't have the smell, the yellow fingertips gave him away. So when we set out to fool somebody, we're just fooling ourselves. You know, all we have to do is look at history. Look at the last 40 years in our world. Look at politicians, clergy, people from all walks of life that were living a double life. They thought they were fooling people, but they weren't. They were just fooling themselves. He says, wherefore, laying aside all malice, all guile, hypocrisy. Get rid of hypocrisy. There's no room in the child of God for hypocrisy. Uh, you know, and, and I have an aunt that every time I preach in her city, I try to get her to come hear me preach. And the last time I was there, I said, Ann, I'm gonna be here for eight days. Will you come? You know what she said? They call me Junior. I said, Junior, I wouldn't go to that church. I said, why not? She said, there's too many hypocrites there. I said, oh, don't worry, we got a chair for you too. <laughs> she said, you calling me a hypocrite? I said, no, I'm calling you the biggest hypocrite in town. I said, you go to the grocery store, there's hypocrisy at the grocery store. I mean, you go buy bread, you don't buy the bread that's in front, you get the bread that's in back, that's the fresh bread. The one in front is old bread, that's hypocrisy. You go buy a car, and the guy's trying to sell you a used car that was driven by an old lady, she only drove him once a week to Sunday school and back, when you know that's not true. There's hypocrisy in every walk of life, and some people don't seem to be bothered by that. I hope and pray every hypocrite in Vancouver will show up here. I hope they'll be here the second service. I hope they'll be here next Sunday. This is where they need to be. They hear the word of God, allow the Holy Spirit to convict them, and they repent and come to faith in Christ. Peter says, get rid of it. Malice, God, hypocrisy, envy. That's jealousy. That's the last sin to die in a Christian. It has destroyed ministries. It destroys homes. Marriages, jealousy. There's no room. There's no room. He says, wherefore, lest I all jealousy. It was present with the disciples. Now, if it was present with the disciples 2,000 years ago, can you imagine how it can be present with us if we're not careful? James and John send their mama. You know, boys, they're amazing. Send their mama to ask Jesus if he would allow the boys to sit next to him on each side when he got to glory. Jesus said, that's not mine to give. Now, the other 10 disciples, when they found out about it, they got angry. Why? They were jealous. Who would want to sit next to the Lord? Now, if it was present with them, I was in a 
church in Joliet, Illinois, Spanish church, and one night after the service, a lady came to me. She said, Brother Rios, will you pray for my husband? I said, tell me about your husband. And then she painted a picture of this monster. And so then she said, if, if God lays it upon your heart, will you come visit my husband? But please do not tell him that I asked you to come visit him. Well, I went to the hotel that night. I couldn't sleep all night long. God gave me a burden for a man I'd never met. So I spent most of the night praying for this guy. So early in the morning, about 7 in the morning, I called the pastor. I said, come get me real quick. We got to go make a quick visit. Let's go catch this guy before he goes to work. We got there, and the guy came to the door. And I said, listen, forgive us for coming so early. You don't know me, but you know your wife, pastor. I'm Brother Rios. I'm here for a week. And last night, and behind him, I could see his wife was in the kitchen. She had on her robe, and she was cooking breakfast, and she could hear us. I said, last night, your wife begged me to come talk to you about Jesus. Man, I almost gave her a heart attack. And uh, I said, can we have about 15 minutes? He said, sure. Went in, sat down in the living room, and all I did was just share with him the simple plan of salvation. 15 minutes later, we're kneeling in his living room, and he has got to forgive him, and God forgave him. He has Jesus coming to his heart. Jesus came into his heart. And I said, where is Jesus? In my heart. We got up. I said, why don't we eat breakfast? She was cooking it. Somebody had to eat it. So I invited myself to breakfast. And, and, and while we're eating, I asked him, I said, you got any time available this week? He said, well, Brother Rios, I'm on vacation this week. I said, perfect. I said, will you take me to go visit your friends? You want to be a great soul winner? Win somebody to the Lord and have them take you to their friends. 99% of their friends are going to be lost. And I said, you just take me and introduce me. And he gave me an opportunity to train him. And so that week, we went out. And that week, we led 18 people to the Lord, all his friends. And so, but something happened. Everywhere we went, the phone would ring, and it was always for him. So one day, I said, listen, it's none of my business. But I noticed that everywhere we go, the phone rings, and it's for you. First of all, how do people know where we're at? And he was embarrassed. He said, Brother Rios, my wife is so jealous that before I can leave the house, i got to give her the names and phone numbers or where I'm going to take you. And that woman called every number that week to see if that's where we were. I don't know where she thought I was going to take that man. Now, you know what was sad? She'd been a believer for 15 years. He'd only been a believer for five days. And in five days, he had grown more in the grace, knowledge of Jesus than she had in 15 years. He, had, he was already leading people to Christ by the end of the week. So that sat, last Saturday, I made an appointment to come to the home. And I came in and I said, she was sitting there by him. And I said to her, sister, if you're not willing to repent and ask God to remove that stronghold that you've given the devil an opportunity to build upon your life, you're going to lose your home. You're going to lose your husband. Boy, she slipped out of that chair and got on her knees and praying one of the prettiest prayers I've ever heard. She asked God to forgive her. And then she said, Lord, will you tear down that stronghold? And then she said, Lord, you know that private room in my heart where I've been keeping all that jealousy? He said, will you go in there and open the door and clean all that out and then seal the door? And when she got up, she was a different person. She already knew the Lord, but she had forgotten to take off things that were not pleasing to God. He says, wherefore, laying aside all malice, all God, hypocrisy. 
all envy. And the last thing he says is evil speaking, gossiping. There's no room in the heart of a child of God for gossiping. Even if you're right, don't do it. Even if they've taken advantage of you, don't do it. Even if you can't stand what they've done to you, don't do it. Don't do it. But Brother Rios, what if you have to do it? Then ask yourself this question. Is what I'm going to say about so-and-so, is it going to be pleasing to God? Is what I'm going to say about so-and-so, is it going to edify that person? Is it going to help that person grow? Is what I'm going to say going to help me be a better soul winner? If not, don't do it. My dad, when he came to Christ, life changed. And, and my dad had a love for our pastors. He loved our pastors. And my dad would not allow anybody to say anything bad about the pastor in public. He wouldn't do it. And if dad heard you say something bad about the pastor, you know what he would do the next Sunday? When Sunday was over, he'd say, hey, can you come over here, brother? And he said, pastor, you got a minute? And the pastor would come. He said, I want you to tell the pastor what you said about the pastor last week with so-and-so. And I'm telling you, nobody would ever say anything bad about the pastor in front of my dad. And I said, dad, why do you do that? And he said, well, son, the pastor is God's anointed. And if I raise my hand, or if I raise my tongue against God's anointed, God's judgment is upon me. When David ran away from King Saul, and King Saul was trying to kill David, everybody in history knew that. And one night, David snuck into the king's tent, and I believe it was one of his nephews, picked up a spear, said, let me pin him to the ground. And David said, don't do it. Don't you dare raise your hand against God's anointed. Why? Because David knew that it'd be judgment upon his head. Now, I don't believe there was a court in Israel would have found him guilty. Everybody knew that king was trying to kill him. Why? Because of jealousy. Saul kills his thousand. David kills his 10,000. And the king couldn't stand it. He even threw a, a javelin at him one time to try and kill him. So David knew that. Not to raise your hand against God. Let me close with this. Early one morning, Monday morning, I'm in the hotel there for a week, and I get a call at the hotel. At the other end was a guy named Taylor, Mr. Taylor. He was 83 years old. He said, Mr. Rios, I heard you preach on radio yesterday morning, and I heard you preach last night, and I really like what you had to share. I said, well, thank you. He said, could you do me a favor? I said, yes, sir, what? He said, could you come to my house? I got a problem. I said, okay, give me the address. I called the pastor in the next 20 minutes. I'm knocking at the door. It's a big old wooden house. And the door opened, there's this 83-year-old man, Mr. Taylor. I walked into the biggest living room I had ever been in in my life. And it was full of antiques, beautiful antiques. This guy had spent thousands upon thousands. I saw my first square grand piano. I didn't know there was such a thing. It's beautiful. And he showed them all to me. He said, what do you think, Mr. Rios? I said, Mr. Taylor, God's been good to you, hadn't he? He has blessed you financially. I said, but you said you had a problem. What, what's your need? He said, follow me. We went through about three rooms. Back at the back, there was Mrs. Taylor. She was 83, sitting there. He said next to her. I said, across from him, the pastor over here. I said, now, Mr. Taylor, how can I help you? I'll never forget it. That sweet old man said, could you tell me about Jesus? I said, oh, I'd love to. 
And I just shared with him my experience, how I came to know the Lord and, and how I realized I was a sinner and recognized Jesus, son of God, he died for me. He was buried, rose on the third day. I repented, asked him to forgive me by faith. I asked him to come into my heart, be my Lord and Savior. And before I could finish, that old man leaped from the chair, got on his knees and said, Mr. Rios, could you show me how to pray to receive Jesus? And I got on my knees, I said, give me your hand. He gave me his hand and boy, he was shaking like a leaf. And we pray and he has got to forgive him. Of course God forgave him. He has Jesus to come into his heart. Jesus came into his heart. And then that dear brother got so excited. He didn't know what to do. He got up. He was so happy. He re- threw himself at me and he hugged me. Well, he hugged about as much of me as he could hug, you know. And, uh, and then he said, he pulled out his wallet, never forget it. Open it. Stack of bills that big, that thick. Put it right under my nose. He said, Brother Rios, how much do I owe you? And I saw those big bills, and I thought, dear God, what a temptation. But I pushed it back. I said, you don't owe me a penny, brother. It's already been paid for. It wasn't silver, and it wasn't gold. It was the precious blood of Jesus, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That's what it took. There wasn't enough silver, there wasn't enough gold to purchase you. And so... He said, well, how, how much do I owe the church? I said, not a penny. He said, how much do I owe God? I said, boy, I'm glad you asked. He was a businessman. I said, you owe him 10% of everything you got. $10 out of 100, 100 out of 1,000, 1,000 out of 10,000. You owe him 100,000 100, out of a million. He said, well, where do I take it? I said, you go down there to the First Baptist Church. Somebody said, well, what if God wanted him to be a Methodist? I said, dummy, he would have sent a Methodist evangelist to win him. <laughs> you know, since I was, and so he didn't argue with me. He didn't fight. He said, well, that time, that's Old Testament. No, he said, I'll do it. I was there that week and I couldn't, he, he couldn't get out physically too much. So you know what he did that week? He said on, on a comfortable chair, grabbed the telephone, grabbed the telephone guy and started calling every number in that town. And people received his call because he was one of the wealthiest men in town. They respected him. And so they listened. And he would tell them how he met Jesus in the back bedroom. On beautiful days, him and Sister Taylor would sit on their porch in the rocking chair. And they would rock back and forth, rock back and forth. And if somebody walked by, Brother Taylor would go, psst, psst. And when they got close, he would grab them. And he wouldn't let, see, when you get older, you get away with a lot of stuff. I'm learning that. You got away with a lot of stuff. And he wouldn't let him go till he told them how he met Jesus. I, I, I'm, I'm almost certain if you were to go to that town today and find someone my age and say, do you remember Mr. Taylor? They'll say, which one? Old man Taylor or new man Taylor? Well, tell me about old man Taylor. Well, he, he, he was a fun guy. He liked to drink. He was a clown. Well, tell me about new man Taylor. Well, one morning, two pastors went into his house. They were there a couple of hours. And when they left, Mr. Taylor was never the same. All he ever wanted to do was talk about Jesus. When folks see us coming, people that know us, what do they see? Do they see someone that's full of malice, guile, hypocrisy? Jealousy, gossiping, 
Or do they see someone that's full of the love of God? When people see us coming, do they see Jesus? He just happened to be dressed like us. Wherefore, laying aside, stripping off. Let's pray. As every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Perhaps this morning, God's spoken to your heart. You may be here, and you say, Brother Rios, you've been talking about receiving Jesus. I've never done that. We want to give you an opportunity to do that. In a few minutes, we'll stand up, and we'll invite you to come to the altar. Staff will be here to receive you. And when you come to the altar, Jesus is glorified. But not only is Jesus glorified when we come to the altar, when we come to the altar, we become an encouragement to someone else that needs to come. If you've never come to that place in your life where you've asked God to forgive you and as Jesus come into your heart and you would like to do that this morning, we invite you to come. There's no danger here. You'll not be embarrassed. There's no danger. God is love. Perhaps you're here this morning and God's talked to you. Maybe you're not dealing with any of the five things we mentioned, but there may be things that we didn't mention that the Holy Spirit has put his flashlight on and God is asking you to deal with that. You need to come to rededicate that life or to join the church or to follow the Lord in baptism. Whatever your need may be, you're welcome to come to the altar this morning and let God have his way with your life. Now, Father, as we come to the most important part of this service, your invitation, you know every heart, you know every need. Lord, I would just ask that you give us the strength and the courage to just simply obey you Obedience results in power. We want the power of God in our life. We need to be obedient. Help us to do what's right. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask that we stand, please. As we stand and, and as our worship team leads us in a song, God's spoken to your heart. God's placed a commitment. You need to respond. The altar is open. You come. Let God have his way with your life.